Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is July the 14th, 2021. This is episode 287. Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? Uh, If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast about media, as the name so implies. We talk about movies, television, videos, games, and music here, but not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. With me is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Media Boat Podcast. I believe you're right about that number, too. 287. Uh, Yep. 200. No, last week was 287. This is 288. Oh, okay. So I'm like a week behind. Check my 80s real quick here. 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87. This is episode 288. 288. So I'm confused. Unless we missed something else somewhere. (laughs) I'll take it. 288 sounds good to me. And welcome because this is going to be a good one. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Why don't we? There's no reason really to do a preamble. It's mid-July. It's hot as hell outside. Um, we have stuff to talk about, so let's talk about it. We begin the podcast as we always do with movies, and we begin movies with the weekend box office number, and what is that? I hear a heartbeat. It's movies. It's movie theaters waking back up after a long sleep to the tune of $80 million. They got jolted by that mar- new Marvel film, Black Widow. Yeah, so Black Widow, easily your number one movie this week, as most people predicted it would be, but maybe not to the tune of $80 million. Um, Disney has already been out there tooting their horn about how successful it was, not only in theaters, but also early numbers for Disney Premier Access, saying that worldwide, the movie made over $160 million. We'll get into those numbers a bit later as our news story. Yeah. Uh, but yes, this does continue Marvel's streak of opening at number one. They have not had a film yet not open at number one. Yeah. Dating all the way back to 2008 Iron Man. Uh, not bad. Also, it seems like the numbers are convincing other studios as well, both about their theatrical release windows and also about the potential of more direct-to-consumer streaming events as well. It seems like the Disney premiere risk has paid off in a lot of ways for Disney with this one at least. And yeah, this might be a continued, continued proof that the studios are going to be messing around with concepts about how they distribute their movies going forward. Uh, Black Widow we'll talk- did top... Uh- Two weeks ago, Fast's F9's premiere right. at $70 million. So it's going up, as uh, Cardi B says. Yep. When it's up and it's up and it's, it's up, up, it it's goes up. up. Uh, yeah, That's, to paraphrase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Black Widow's performance in a moment. But in the meantime, let's talk about the rest of this top five. Number two, F9, The Fast Saga, another $10.8 million. That's at $141 million domestic. So that is your number one movie of the year so far. But don't be surprised if just in a couple weeks that Black Widow overtakes it. Number three, The Boss Baby Family Business with another $8.7 million. That's sitting at 34. Number four, The Forever Purge with another $6.7 million. That's at 27 domestic and rounding out your top five. A Quiet Place Part 2 still putters around $3 million, 
Oh, actually, 150 million domestic. So that's actually your leader, believe it or not. But like I said, that tale is not very long. Both of those top two movies will probably surpass that very quickly. It's going to get eaten yeah. real quick. So might as well. I'm just getting a week ahead of myself. <laughs> as for new releases, this is a, a, a pretty big one. A big, uh, at least there's high expectations and high nostalgia going into this release this week. Uh, Space Jam, colon, a new legacy. That is your LeBron James Space Jam is finally out this week in theaters. And also, if you don't want to bother, HBO Max has it as well. So uh, It we, does. Well, yeah. I'm not going to a theater then. I'm going to watch on HBO Max. Yeah, I'm just going to watch it home. Hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. I wish. Hey, HBO Max, we could use that money. <laughs> Help us out. Uh, but yeah, um, next week we'll talk about Space Jam. I'm sure we'll both sit down and watch that. Uh, yeah, it's not getting great reviews. No, it's not. Would you be doing a double feature for Space Jam 1 into Space Jam 2? I, I will attempt to convince a friend of the show, Christy, to do that with me. I don't think she's going to be game, uh, <laughs> but I can try. I can definitely try to get that. Uh, it might just be me and my little lonesome with a with a Diet Coke uh, pulling up to Space Jam New Legacy. So we'll see. That's your new release of the week, which means it's time to move into movie news. And like we said... Our first story is all about how Black Widow has started up the machine of the movies again. I mean, it was the biggest thing to talk about this this past weekend. Sure enough. Black Widow started out with a $17 million Thursday night opening, which ultimately generated $80 million in its opening weekend in theaters. But Disney has also released streaming numbers as the premiere access has generated $60 million plus, potentially more than that too, over the weekend as well. Both of these numbers mark the biggest growth since the pandemic. This technically makes the weekend total 140 million, which when added to its international box office of 78 million, the Marvel film has a combined weekend global total of $218 million. While this is still far from being profitable as Marvel films typically budget at $200 million plus and would need twice that to mark a net profit, uh, it's still nothing to sniff at. Uh, it's unclear if Premiere Access will continue to be used on certain films for profitability, as their next film, Jungle Cruise, that vehicle for The Rock, is set to open July 30th in theaters and on Disney+. The next Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, will play exclusively in theaters for 45 days, with no current plans for Premiere Access, uh, at least not according to this story. I thought it was. I haven't seen it being targeted as such. Maybe not. And then there are no laid out plans currently for Eternals, which has a current date of November 5th. So this kind of works two ways for Disney. It gives them a lot of flexibility because it proves that people are starting to trickle into theaters again. And it also proves that Premiere Access works if the movie is something people care about. Clearly, these numbers prove that people care about Black Widow enough to do both of those things. To right, a tune of billions of dollars. Disney still cases. needs to do its due diligence. Of are people just excited for Black Widow, mm-hmm. or for because Marvel, or because it's something new that they actually want to see? It's a good question, and we probably won't know until we got a few more movies under our belt. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they experiment going forward. 
I mean, we already have two other films under our belts with Mulan and Cruella. But, access. but it's telling here that they're very quick, like within days, to talk about the numbers here, whereas it took them a long time to talk about numbers, especially with Mulan. It definitely makes you think about the difference in performance. Maybe they were disappointed by those premiere access numbers before, and maybe this time is the first time that they're actually proud of them. Right, because you only beat your chest when something good happens. Right, right. It's why it's it's a similar reason why Microsoft stopped uh, giving out Xbox sales numbers is because they only they keep those close to the vest so that way when they're good they can then show them. Otherwise, they're like, I don't know, it's selling, it's an Xbox, people are buying it. Yeah, that's why they pivoted to saying, hey, look at our Game Pass numbers. Look how right. well Game Pass is doing. Right. Uh, even now, they've been choosy about showing those, though. Right. Uh, but anyways, like I said, though, when I was talking about the box office numbers, this has gotten other studios' attention. It's not just Disney. I saw an, ar- a, uh, an article that was hinting at Warner looking at these numbers and considering some more direct-to-consumer streaming options as well. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but it continues in our the theme of our story of the year for movies last year, which is the market has changed. The market is different, and it's going to be different going forward. And who knows in what ways we'll be watching movies in the coming years. So. Yep, who knows? But congratulations to Black Widow. We'll talk about you in a hot sec. <laughs> yes, because that moves us into our second story, which is more like stories, because we got some movie bits to chat about. Our first bit in the movie bits involves another Marvel superstar, Matt Shackman, aka a director on WandaVision. He has reached a deal with Paramount to direct the next Star Trek film, using a script from Lindsay Veer and Geneva Robertson Durrett, who previously wrote for Captain Marvel and Tomb Raider. So there you go. Yep, this follows a five-year third director now being attached <laughs> to make a film yeah. following Star Trek Beyond in 2016. Yes, that was a 2016 film. Wow. Last time you saw Star Trek in the theater. Yeah, uh, I think this is a good fit. I think WandaVision proved that uh, Shackman can do a hybrid of realistic storytelling as well as kind of sci-fi elements. Mm-hmm. I think the flexibility that he showed in those WandaVision episodes is probably a really good resume for anybody looking to adapt a Star Star Trek story. I can see it working. He also part uh, director, executive producer for Game of Thrones and It's Always Sunny. Ah, okay. So he has some TV experience. TV experience. He did one horror film for Blumhouse. Okay. So this will be a second feature film. So multi- Unless he does a, a separate release before that. Okay. But yeah, he's proven himself in multiple genres, it sounds like. So that's that's really good. That's really good on a resume. So uh, cool. That's good news. I mean, it's also good when you're Emmy nominated, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Next up in movie bits, speaking of Star Trek, the first four Star Trek films will be coming to 4K UHD, that's Ultra HD Blu-ray, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the first Star Trek episode. The so 55th if you're, anniversary of the first Star Trek episode. 55th, that's correct. So if you're not uh, if you're not uh, tired of watching them on um, CBS, uh, wait, no, is that a Paramount, Paramount Plus? Plus? Paramount Plus. 
uh, Paramount Plus uh, and you want to see them in higher quality on your fancy-ass television, you can do that uh, coming soon. Yep. Uh, these, this will not be individual. It will be a four-film box set. That's the way And include a it. bunch of other extras as well, including commentary and never-before-behind-the-scenes footage hmm. for cool. the diehard, not diehard film fan, but the diehard mm-hmm. Star Trek fan. Star Trek fan, yep. That's good. So uh, mark your um, Christmas gifts for the yep. Star Trek fan in your life. All right, next up. This is a choice out of left field. Greta Gerwig, uh, most recently of Lady, Bur- Lady Bird fame, will be directing Barb- a Barbie movie with Margot Robbie in the f- lead role. Filming on the film is, to set, is, to, is set to start early 2022. It's weird you went Lady Bird and not Little Women. That, I guess, was more recent. But uh, <laughs> more critically acclaimed, I guess, for Lady Bird. But uh, yeah, um, this is a choice. Uh, not the first name I would think of when I think of an adaptation about Barbie. Uh, but she could do it. She can handle it. Might give it more character. Yeah, maybe. Or like a little bit more dimension than I think you would typically think. I'm hoping this is a Lego movie style approach where it's self-aware enough about the brand that they have some fun with it, that might be okay. Where Barbie has a bunch of different jobs but can't hold down a job. Or something or something like that, or it's like she needs to adapt to these changing times or something. Um, it's interesting that this is going up against uh, the Lena Dunham-produced Polly Pocket adaptation, which is also in production. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter pointed out that both of those things exist. And I'm like, okay, all right. Now all I need is a strawberry shortcake for the trifecta. <laughs> you gotta wait. Who do we who do we put on that project? We need another indie starlet turned director. Who do we got? Um. Don't know. Uh, uh, Patty Jenkins. Why not? <laughs> not exactly. What I was, not exactly the same career arc I was thinking, but I'm um, sure. Why not? All right. Our next bit brings us to some new trailers that just dropped recently. First up, Disney's next animated film, Encanto. I watched the trailer for this. Um, this is the next big uh, Disney Animation Studios release. This will have uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda rep- reprising his music um, role that he played in Moana. So there will be songs written and uh, composed by him. And uh, yeah, it seems like a really colorful, uh, charming story about a seems like a fam uh, like a family who I- is in a magical house that all have special abilities, and the title uh, the the main character uh, does not have said special ability, and thus uh, is a odd one out in her situation. Yep, main character played by Stephanie Beatrix, uh, mm-hmm. currently of uh, In the Heights fame. Becoming a Disney princess. Or at least voicing future Disney princess. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah, that could be all right. Well, we're not sure if it's like kingdoms of princessy, but I mean that's the, the castle. Thing. That's the thing. We call it we call it a trailer, but in this case it's really a teaser. Yeah. They've said very little. There was only a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of preview of the song. 
Um, and so we don't know a whole lot. There's still a lot of mystery around Encanto that I'm sure will come out as the movie gets closer to release. So looking forward to that. Uh, next up in trailers, we had Turning Red, which is the next Pixar film. Uh, from what I gather, this is um, a girl who also who has the ability to transform or transforms when she's angry or something. Anxiety. Some sort of mo- oh, anxious. She transformed into some sort of monster when she's anxious. It's a red panda. It's not a yeah. monster. Fair. Okay. Red panda. Sure. Uh, but this takes place in Canada yeah, between 2002-2003. So <laughs> mark your calendars. We're coming into that early 2000s vibe <laughs> of creativity now. I mean, you're already seeing it in shows like Hulu's Pin 15. Uh, early right. 2000s nostalgia is hot right now. So, Well, because sure. all those directors and creative producers are now of that age when right. they look back and when they were in high school and middle, middle school around that time. Yeah, it's scary to think about. Don't give our generation too much power. It's not, <laughs> not going to end well. Uh, and then lastly in trailers, I don't need to tell you what Jackass Forever is because if you care, uh, you already know and you're already going to see this. And I bet you care because you saw the last Jackass film. I did. I did see that. I'm not sure why. Uh, I was just there. And uh, it happened in front of me. It unfurled like a flag. In, in 3D. In 3D. So yeah, it's been, oh God, at least 10 years. It's been about a decade. It's been about uh, a decade. But yeah, those guys are still kicking it. Um, and so yeah, uh, more jackass misadventures are to come. So that's your thing hopefully this will be the last one because they're old it seems likely sure them (laughs) for yeah it seems likely that this is it what a run all right moving on in movie bits away from trailers and into long lost artifacts of film history this is a fun story yeah judy garland's long lost wizard of oz blue dress has been recovered in a basement of catholic university's drama department Hmm. yeah apparently it was donated a while like years ago yeah and then things got moved around and it was sandwiched between some sweaters for (laughs) order to preserve it as things were moving and then got whisked away with other boxes and put away in the drama department yeah that's so weird yeah so i'm guessing this is going to be shipped off very quickly to some sort of museum Yes, for a pretty penny for the university, of course. I would imagine, yes. So that, yeah, that's pretty cool. Goes right next to the ruby slippers. Well, it's no longer like that famous blue, mm-hmm. but because mm-hmm. fade over time. Yeah. Hmm. I'd be interested to see if they try to restore it at all. Ooh. I wonder. We've seen what happens when paintings try and get restored. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want that to happen. <laughs> Then lastly in the movie bits today, The Tomorrow War, which was a recent Amazon Prime uh, streaming release that met, let's say, middling reviews, uh, is getting a sequel with director Chris McKay and star Chris Pratt set to return, along with screenwriter Zach Dean. Uh, Production and release schedule not known about this quite yet, but uh, hey, they're making another one of those. Apparently Amazon and Sundance liked it enough for the (laughs) streaming numbers that... Yeah. They want to go ahead with the sequel. Yeah, it seems like it was successful, uh, but maybe not critically loved. Now, what do you call it? The Yesterday War? <laughs> yeah. The the uh, next the next the next week war. 
I was trying to make think of like a next Friday kind of thing. You know how like they the tomorrow Friday, after next, next Friday, the Friday after next, yeah, something yeah. like that. But maybe. All right, that's it for bits. Let's get into it. We both watched Black Widow. In fact, we watched it at the same time. In fact, we watched it together, and we had fun watching it. It was a fun time. Uh, but the question, of course, after every Marvel movie is. How does it fit into the Pantheon? Is it one of the good ones? Is it one of the not so great ones? Is, does it matter? Is it filler? There's so many conversations to be had about Marvel films. We could be sitting here for an entire bonus podcast and do it. Let's not do that today. Let's have a shorter show and um, talk about how we felt about Black Widow. Just like vault, like just kind of like summarize our thoughts about uh, this film that millions of people are already have saw. I've seen at this point, whether at home or uh, at theaters. What'd you think? What'd you think about Black Widow? So Black Widow is weirdly timed because the time frame <laughs> for the film takes place after Civil War and before Infinity War. It's that time frame of what happened to Natasha Romanoff after... I think the last time we saw her on screen was preventing Black Panther from getting to the Quinjet. And then we don't see her again until the events of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. So what happened between then? And then the ultimate question is, did any of it really matter? Because <laughs> if we already know the front and the end, if anything that happens in the middle doesn't really change anything, does it really matter? Is it really a story worth telling? And I think that's where a lot of people end up having a difficult decision coming down on this is it's good. It's a good action film. Heavy on the action, right on the dialogue, but heavy on the action, especially in that first half of the film. It just hits you with action, a little bit of dialogue, and then immediately punches you with even more action. And then I think even one part, it skips the dialogue and just goes straight into another action sequence. So lots of action, lots of stunts, lots of stuff going on. A lot of stuff happening that really looks good on film. (laughs) Really looks good on my TV too. (laughs) Looks good at home. But did it mean anything? Did it do anything? And I don't think we'll exactly know. Mm -hmm until future MCU results from it. I think you're right. I think just the fact, it has the problem that a lot of things that exist in the middle of two things has. It's the problem of, well, if we already know how this ends, what are the stakes? We already know that this character does bite it. Sorry, spoiler, although you should know that by now. We know that in a later movie, uh, Black Widow is no longer with us. So this story, yeah, for the stakes don't feel as high because we largely know she survives. They do a good job at introducing enough other characters that you care about to maybe question how long they're going to stick around in the MCU. But ultimately, you never really feel that level of stakes I think you got from, that you get from the best of the Marvel films, like your... Like your uh, like your Infinity Wars and your um, Endgames, where it feels like everything is at stake. You never feel that tension. And I think that to have this movie follow those big temple movies in the Marvel canon does make you feel like it's a little bit of a downgrade. And I feel like 
all the action was to push back against that and be like, no, look, we can still make these action sequences enormous and big, and we're still capable of doing this, even though the stakes aren't really setting it up in the background. They're trying to prove that they can make it a fun, entertaining, popcorn-y time without necessarily mattering in the larger canon. Because you're right, it doesn't. I think that this movie exists because of a couple of reasons. And we kind of talked about this off pod as well. It exists because it's very important. Disney thinks it's very important and the fans think it's very important to have Black Widow have their, her own movie. Uh, it's important from a cultural standpoint. We had not had a female superhero in the Marvel Universe lead their own movie before. It's, a, it's unfortunate that it took this long for it to happen besides Captain Marvel. Um, Black Widow is the OG. Like Black Widow predates Captain Marvel in the MCU. It's silly that she didn't have one before Captain Marvel. Uh, that being said, it almost feels like they were indebted to do this. And so it feels a little forced in a way. It feels a little forced and that's unfortunate for the character, a character who could be kind of delved into in a deeper way. And I think a lot of people maybe went into this expecting that that was the movie that you would get, like more of an in-depth origin story, but they don't really bother with that here. There's enough ties to the origin story of that character to keep you thinking about that origin story, but there's but it's very much, like you said, a story that you can place in the middle of the timeline after Civil War and it fits pretty mesh. So it's not really, it's not really the movie I think we thought we were getting by the title Black Widow. So I guess that's a good thing in, in the long run. And I think you're right. And then it also exists as this weird, like, passing of the torch between um, a previous generation of Marvel films and the new generation of Marvel films. I think you're right. And the reason why I say that, and I'm trying to think of a way not to be spoilery here. End credit scene. Yeah. But the next thing I'm going to say is kind of, hopefully I won't, hopefully won't give away what that is uh, to people. What I'm going to say is, the MCU pre-pandemic was one very much of we're setting up the next movie. We're setting up the next theatrical release. The MCU we now live in is one that the Disney Plus series have just as much weight. And this is the first of the big MCU movie releases to deal with that. This is the first one to actually say, hey, maybe pay attention to this television stuff because it matters now. Yeah, it was like, oh, you don't know who this person is? Oh, you must not have watched this other thing that's currently on Disney+. Plus, Right. But it doesn't straight up tell you that. It's put in there for the dedicated Marvel fans right. who do watch everything. So it's interesting. It's an interesting movie because I think you're right. If you expect it to be as important in the timeline as the other big releases, you're going to be disappointed by the end of this thing because it is largely filling in a blank spot in a character's timeline. But if you're going into it thinking, yes, but this new modern approach to the MCU that Disney is taking is multimedia and spans dimensions potentially going forward, then maybe that's not a concern anymore. And maybe Disney is trying to communicate that maybe don't put as much stake in that as you used to. 
Mm, stay. <laughs> yeah. I think that maybe that's the message here is they're trying to say, hey, we, and especially with the news that came out last week, we didn't really need to cover it here because it was just basically a footnote about Disney maybe not paying stars to be in multiple movies in a franchise anymore as much as they used to. It was also, cutting down the number of years in films that right. the contract was in. That also hints at a more experimental Disney where they're more willing to make these one-offs in the universe as opposed to things that matter so much that it affects the next phase of Marvel. So yeah, this is the first, I think, in um, in a an upcoming series of movies that are not going to matter as much in the big picture. And that, I think, is something that fans are going to take a while to adjust to, but I think it's going to get there. I think we're going to get there. So that's generally how I felt coming out of it coming out of this which is like yeah it's it's fine it's good filler material while we're waiting for the next big one i see what they're trying to go to but as a marvel movie that i want to re-watch that i felt like man that was so good i want to experience that again it wasn't that for me it didn't meet that bar for me um it's not going to be in my top five it's i think somewhere in the middle of the pack because when the action scenes work they work splendidly but the new stuff that's there, the new characters introduced, um, and the overall like protagonist versus villain arc, none of that really made me super thrilled. None of that was super like great to me or memorable. Um, but it had just enough fun popcorn time that I would say it's a good time. But I would not say go out immediately and spend $30 on the premiere access. I'm not going to say go immediately to a movie theater, go see it. I think it'll be a good, like, regular Disney Plus in October thing to pop in and be like, huh, I wonder how Black Widow was. Yeah, it's, I don't, well, I don't regret spending that $30. Yeah, because we kind of spread it out. We spread it out. I mean, yeah. spread it across, not just us watching it one time, but family sharing the account as well. Right. For different user profiles. Uh, it's you're you're right though that this film should have come out earlier (laughs) not just in terms of like 2020 but in terms of pre-infinity war the film that it seems like they had a script or trying to force a script it definitely seems like yeah you're right it definitely seems like they had a concept that they've been waiting to put down and they had it like on a bulletin board somewhere they were like this is the black widow movie it happens between this and this and then it was just a matter of production working out when that was going to happen uh, we know where she is at a we know where she has to end up by right. d where now it's to fill in b and c which b and c plot points are family and red room mm-hmm. and those are the two big plot points of this film yeah Family and the Black Widow Red Room. Um, depending on how much you like family <laughs> and aren't sick of it from Fast and Fa- Furious films. Right. Maybe that family aspect actually works for you. You know, coming from yeah. a, I won't call it a broken family, but a stitched together family. Sure. Forced to become one, but ends up becoming the family you need in the end i think that stuff was fine i think it wasn't maybe amazing i think that when 
when I think of Disney films that are really successful with that kind of message, I think even of Onward. Um, I think uh, of Incredibles. Uh, and yeah, Marvel hasn't really done it. And so this is, I guess, the Marvel take on that kind of that kind of angle. You see a little bit of it with Hawkeye's arc in the Avengers films, but they could have gone even strong, like stronger with that. Uh, and they may still do it in the upcoming Hawkeye television show. Um, but yeah, this is a kind of an interesting approach for them to be like, yeah, let's make a story about this character's family and that dynamic. Right. Well, they did kind of touch on it pretty heavily with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 about yeah, family. That was more father-son. That was less, more father's, yeah. yeah. It was more specific. More specific on the family and kind of the family you choose. Whereas this is, yeah. we consider ourselves a family. And I think this is the baby steps for Marvel to hopefully, this might just be me, like conspiracy theory here, <laughs> introduction of Marvel first family of Fantastic Four down the road, that this is them experimenting with different formulas of how yeah. family works yeah, or what works with a family Marvel film. I mean, you have that, that as well. And then also the fan theory that you actually brought up as well uh, off the podcast after we had finished the film, uh, which is this ultimately maybe setting up the alternate Avengers theme, a team as well. Yeah. Do I say that here or is that too spoilery? I don't think that's too spoilery. All right. Dark Avengers is the official. They're going to do that at some point. Um, yes. And so this is, you, you can see portions of this movie being like, we're setting up just enough characters to make you start thinking about it. They're putting the characters in the MCU mm-hmm. so they can do it eventually. Right. Um, it's similar to how they have the Pegasus name in Avengers. So that way, eventually they can <laughs> reference it back in Captain mm-hmm. Marvel or whatever film they want to eventually. Yeah. It's putting the breadcrumbs there now so yeah. you don't have to do it later and kind of force it in there like oh well that was going on this was actually going on here as well yeah. so i guess bottom line what i'll say overall is is it essential marvel no is it something you absolutely need to see to appreciate the entire canon absolutely not is it a fun popcorn movie that has just enough bits and pieces to get you thinking about the future of the franchise and maybe recontextualizing the events of uh infinity war and endgame yes so i guess if you're expecting that you'll probably have a fun time with this but if you're expecting world stopping the mcu is back baby kind of vibes this might not quite make that far right this isn't doctor strange infinite time loop <laughs> we get there end yeah. of the world style coming of, soon of uh, <laughs> event right so. although they do try and set it up to be as such yeah, not really. The stakes are never too high here. Um, no. Which is smart because Black Widow as a character is not Captain Marvel. Black Widow is not a character who you can rely on to save the world. Black Widow is a character that can save a couple people. And that's what she does. <laughs> right. You stop yeah. the organization. You don't stop. Right. You don't stop the, the world from ending. And yeah, world ending event. No ancient aliens. No. I saw a tweet that I want to bring up here because I think this I saw this after uh we saw it. Uh that was I forget who I forget when I give credit to this person, but I don't remember who it was. It was like they were saying that there's two kinds of Marvel movies. There's one that you watch stoned and you like watch all the crazy shit happen. And then there's the ones with hats. <laughs> 
this is definitely the one, uh, one of the ones with hats. <laughs> so just go in expecting that. Right. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, Any yeah. Any last thoughts before Anything else to on? say about Black Widow? I was asking you the same question, so I guess we're Well, I guess good. we're on the same page here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, maybe don't bother with the 30 bucks, but hey, it's going to be on Disney Plus proper in October, so just hold your horses. You can wait. Or just look at spoilers. You're fine. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this wasn't too spoily either. The no. whole film's not very much a spoiler. Not a whole lot. No. There All is right. some... Uh, Captain America Civil War espionage in it. If there's not Civil War. Um, uh, Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier. what you're thinking. Yeah. And honestly, even that part felt like Baby's first spy movie in a lot right. of ways because they do so much work to explain exactly what happened. I was a little disappointed in that portion. But yes, you're right. It is there if you want that. All right. Let's move out of movies and let's talk about television. And we always start television with the sports corner. And man, what a weekend for sports it was. It was one of your favorite times of year in sports, which is yep. the break where no sports happens. <laughs> We're living it right now, actually. I think uh, sports resume tomorrow. Yes, they do. So uh, live it. Live it. The, the feel that rarefied no, today air. Is the day with no sports. Yeah, the day with no sports continues. Um, but in the meantime, let's talk about sports that did happen. First up. We take it to the world of Wimbledon as number one Ashley Barty and number one Novak Djokovic won Wimbledon. Yep. Your number one seeded uh, tennis players. Yep. Won Wimbledon. They, they did the, the job. They did the thing that they receded for. So congratulations. They got their money. Yeah. They got their cash. They, they did exactly what they went there to do, which is be number one. So yeah. Congratulations to uh, tennis stars. Mm-hmm. They keep uh, quick note on Novak Djokovic this is his 20th win and ties him for the most majors uh, in tennis okay. there you go so um, next one to win wins <laughs> yeah we will see we got a tennis and into I believe this is a UFC story yes uh, Conor McGregor UFC fighter and uh, whiskey shill uh, broke his leg and lost to Dustin Poirier. Um, I saw a good t- tweet uh, take on this, which is, all right, Conor McGregor, welcome to the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very funny. I mean, he, would, he is a cartoon character. He would fit in with those guys. Um, so I could see it. Um, I and mean, they already took Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey, so <laughs> right, one more. He's, Why not? He would fit right in with his crazy <laughs> antics. He seriously would. Unfortunately, oh, what an awful man! <laughs> awful, awful man. Anyways, let's stop talking about that and start Since talking you about did the stuff. Bring up WWE real quick. <laughs> Rats! I almost escaped. This Friday <laughs> will be the return to fans and yes. they go live on SmackDown. I know because I saw the ad a billion times during. The All-Star Game. Hey, next one. So, segue into what I really want to talk about here. This past weekend was, or week, I guess, the last couple days, was the All-Star Week for baseball. We saw the Home Run Derby. We saw the All-Star Game. I watched 20 minutes of the Celebrity Softball Game (laughs) that I went back. Um, (laughs) Yeah, those are good. Let's talk about the headlines. First up, Shohei Otani was not only in the All-Star game, but he was in it twice. 
He was the starting pitcher for the American League and also the leadoff hitter. The American League went on to win the All-Star game, uh, the eighth in a row. Uh, they won 5-2. to two. Uh, Your MVP in the All-Star game was not Otani, as he failed to get a hit, even though he was the winning pitcher with a perfect first inning. Um, the real MVP here was Vladdy Daddy Jr., after hitting the big 200th All-Star game home run. That could have been Otani's. Could have been Otani, but... Look, would have been a nice end cap for Babe Ruth being the first and then right. Otani being the 200th. But you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy for Guerrero Jr. He did a good job. He's a good player. It's a nice a nice little bit to his season to remind, to remind everybody that there's been other good seasons beside Otani, even though we've been talking about Otani so much. Yes, the Tampa Bay Blue Jays currently. Right. I think yes. they're playing in Tampa Bay, Florida. <laughs> I believe they're still in Florida, yeah. yeah. Unless they, they, they went back to Buffalo, I'm not sure. Yet, but... To Toronto. Yeah, so wild. Even though their all-star jerseys did say Toronto on them. Right. They, have, they even had the Canadian flag, unlike everybody else with the American flag, which was very funny to me. Um, anyway, but before that, though, the home run derby happened. We should probably talk about that, too. And Angels uh, pitching sucked again. Yeah, so Otani did his best in his round, uh, but failed to uh, move on to the second round of the home run derby. Uh, he was bested uh, in a three-round uh, like it, he just continued to tie against uh, who was that Juan Soto? Juan Soto of the Cincinnati um, Reds. Yeah, and then yeah, just kept tying him up in the first two rounds of the first round, rounds of the rounds. It's weird to talk about it that way. And then just couldn't manage to get the hits that he it, needed. For it the went final. into double overtime, sudden yeah. death. And he in didn't which Juan do it. Soto hit three home runs on mm-hmm. three pitches. It was amazing to watch. Otani hits one ball and can't even get it in the air. So. He did his best. He tried. Honestly, it's probably best for his arms that he did not continue because he ended up showing that he could still pitch immediately at the beginning of the All-Star game the next day. So he's in good form, which is what he, what what that proved is that he didn't ruin anything, which is good. Yes. But Once, I mean, he threw a hundred mile per hour fastball at the he, All-Star game. He threw two in a row. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, he did it again. <laughs> it was amazing work. But anyways. Your real winner of the home run derby was Pete Alonso of the Mets. Won back to back. He won last time too, yeah. back in twenty. Nicknamed the Polar Bear because he's ice yes. cold at the plate. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, but put on a show, especially that first round where he hit what thirty five. Yep, new it record. Thirty five home runs in the first round. Yeah, just just so many, so many supers, and all of them super, super far, and that, like, back for a, a back yep. last row of that tier in the stadium. But not further than Otani. No, fa- not further than Otani, because of course not, but... Yeah, he had a 520-foot home run. Yeah. Which I believe sets the record now. I think you're right. Yep. So, so everyone, yeah. winner at the All-Star Game. It was a bunch of fun. Uh, I, However, don't go back and watch the celebrity thing unless you want to see jojo siwa uh pitch a ball which she did that happened anyway okay uh but we did have a loser <laughs> this weekend from the all-star game okay that was uh <laughs> another than espn commentator um mr smith himself Stephen a smith right yes and his comments about <laughs> shohei otani i saw today that apparently he Attempted an apology. Yes. Uh, During his uh, first take morning show, he attempted an apology. (laughs) 
especially after complaining about Otani you needing an interpreter yeah. only for Vladimir yes. Guerrero also Junior, to need an interpreter need an interpreter I thought that too and I was like hmm hmm makes you think also putting foot in mouth of saying that he hasn't watched an Angel game despite Otani being the best player and him being in <laughs> an, an analysis yeah yeah you would like, think oh so you're telling us you're not doing your job of literally watching the best thing on in yeah. sports happen right now yeah it's not like he doesn't have access to those games you know <laughs> he does i mean angels games have been three times already over the season in espn so it's yeah, not like they're it, local like there's secure yeah. local games either and a couple of youtube uh special events as well so yeah, but what i'm YouTube saying is already. is that you know that espn is just handing him the keys to an mlb tv account is what i'm saying he has right. those games he can just watch them like yes he if just not chooses not to if not Stephen a smith it's 50 dollars right now get on it <laughs> you're gonna force can confront you an account yeah i think they got you. business expense anyway so no let's not give any more air time to Stephen a smith anyway our no, next ESPN already does that with a 12 million dollar yearly contract anyway it's true it's true anyway let's talk about other sports though as much as i could just continue talking about baseball uh, let's talk about hockey as the Tampa Bay Lightning are your back-to-back NHL Stanley Cup champions. Um, uh, called this, um, they won last Wednesday. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we were podcasting then. Yes. The, the game wasn't over yet, but week delayed. Congratulations again. Um, my tinfoil hat conspiracy came true. They won <laughs> in front of their fans. Right. And then they had their boat parade earlier this week. Cool. To which they tried to reenact Tom Brady's tossing of the trophy between boats and didn't go quite so well as well. the Stanley Cup got dent, chipped, <sighs> damaged during the boat parade. This is why you don't give people from Florida priceless objects. <laughs> Just saying. Um, it has been shipped back to Canada good. to be repaired and we'll be back with the team within a week. For them to mess up with, mess it up again. Well, no, so, so now they can uh, hand it around to everyone gets a day with it. Right. <laughs> anyway. That's however, always the fun part. Watching right. it, like all the players and their kids have fun with a day <laughs> with the Stanley Cup trophy. Yeah. It's cute. It's yeah. cute. Uh, in case you're wondering about the other big finals that are happening right now, they're not quite done over in the NBA. But the Suns lead the Bucks in the two uh, two to one right now in the finals. So. Yep. Um, this is why are they still playing in January and not ending in June? Pandemic because <laughs> of because they had to start later in the year for this basketball season. It's why it's still running into July, mm-hmm. which they are playing game four today. And why it's technically still a sport day and <laughs> not really kind of live there if, about it not being a sport yeah, day. Yeah, if a sport is happening, is it really a sports plural? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so starting next season, they'll go back to being in October for a start date instead of December, which is what they did for this season, which is why it's a month delayed. Yeah. Which is why the ESPYs were not on uh their typical schedule right we but we'll get to about, that later yes we'll talk about the sps a little later but for now anything else to add in sports before we move on um wrestling is back with live fans i said anything else <laughs> in sports 
Um, one week left until NFL has to report to training camp. Uh, in which case they're going to do some strength and conditioning days Mm -hmm. and you can officially get your tickets for spring training, well, not spring training, for uh, practice days for your uh, local NFL team. And you know what that means? It means football's right around the corner. But you know what else that means? The Aaron Rodgers watch continues. (laughs) Yes, Aaron Rodgers watch continues. So (laughs) he's been doing a lot of different interviews lately. Yeah. Oh, story we haven't talked about because I really don't want to bring it up, <laughs> but we kind of have to. Okay. Trevor Bauer of the Dodgers. Yeah, that's true. We haven't talked about this. It just hasn't fit in really, but yes. Well, I'll, there's also no conclusion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so beginning of the month, Trevor Bauer was accused of sexual assault, domestic violence. He's been suspended by MLB for 10 days uh things have happened started last week he comes off that suspension on friday but currently isn't planned as a starter at any point for the dodgers until an internal investigation gets resolved mm-hmm. who knows when that will be that's why there's not it's, it's a pending story there's no real conclusion to it yet it's just it's happening we don't know what's going to happen, what they're going to find. So it's kind of like standing water right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just know that going into these games <laughs> coming up next week. Yep. So, yeah. And we'll lastly, see for the MLB, the MLB draft did happen. Yeah. And the impossible did happen as well. <laughs> yeah. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, <laughs> known for ruining pitchers' arms and for never signing a pitcher, <laughs> did the unthinkable and and committed to twenty straight pitchers <laughs> in the draft. <laughs> Unprecedentedly, every single pick, all twenty picks that the Angels had were college. Sorry, nineteen were college pitchers. One was a high school pitcher, but all were pitchers. It's like the real equivalent of when you. Go drafted all goalies in your final in your uh, <laughs> fantasy hockey team. They weren't goalies; they were guards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I needed defense. I needed guards. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, yeah. So MLB draft happened this past week. Twenty rounds, so twenty times thirty-two. Sorry, twenty times thirty. Five hundred players, roughly chosen by the different MLB teams into their farm systems. Congratulations on your draft. <laughs> yes. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with those new up-and-comers. In the meantime, let's stop talking about sports because we're done with sports for now. Let's get into some television news. And we start television news with the biggest, hottest pipe and plate of news that television has to offer which is the emmy nominations for 2021 it's a shame we're not doing our graphics anymore because here's where the emmy graphic award goes right yeah oh back when we could have full production remember those days (laughs) anyway your emmy nominations were pretty predictable as hbo that's hbo plus hbo max led the race with 130 total emmy nominations with Netflix right behind with 129. 
down from 160 from last year. Disney Plus earned 71 nominations. Netflix's The Crown and, the, and Disney Plus's The Mandalorian are tied for the lead for show nominations with 24 each. WandaVision sitting right behind it with 23. And Handmaid's Tale with, from Hulu with 21. Variety Special will be an interesting category this year as Hamilton on Disney Plus, Bo Burnham Inside from Netflix, and Dave Chappelle's 846 Comedy Special, also Netflix, are all in contention against each other. Ooh. Disney, uh, okay. Uh, the 73rd Primetime Emmy Awards will take place September 19th on CBS and Paramount Plus. And Disney. <laughs> that the Rogue Disney. Rogue Disney. Off guard. Um, yeah, interesting year. Looks like some of our favorites are getting their due with Ted Lasso being multi, uh, have, being a multi-nominee in both acting categories and writing categories. It's good to see it, as well as comedy. Um, weird year for drama, though. Yeah, uh, just real quick on your major categories here for drama series, we have The Boys, mm-hmm. Bridgerton, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Lovecraft Country, Mm. The Mandalorian, Pose, and as it's always there, but never a winner, This Is Us. It's your it's your token network show. Yep. You need at least one token network show. So um interesting that Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. the recently canceled series, is up here and not yeah. as a limited series anymore. Right. I don't know. Maybe they could revive it as season two, or like a straight to HBO Max kind of thing, kind of an anthology series. But where do you where do you go here from here? Yeah, I don't. This is. I was just gonna say this is kind of a weird um, category with no clear favorite. Um, I think that if you're just going by popularity of nominations, the, uh, the 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 Crown looks like it might be the strongest going into this race. But I don't know. You could easily see some left field pick here. Um, I think the boys is an interesting pick here. I don't. I never would have seen it coming. But maybe the Amazon lobbying power is that hardcore um, this year. But yeah, there's no real clear winner here. Um, I think the the crown is probably your strongest contention here because it is a previous winner. Although fan favorite does point towards The Mandalorian, especially yeah. from season two. It's an interesting pick because you don't necessarily think of a Star, Star Wars adaptation uh, being a shoo-in for an Emmy Award for Best Drama Series. It seems like that's from a different dimension that that happened uh, because you don't see genre stuff in Emmy contention that often. Here, you're seeing a lot of uh, genre stuff in Emmy contention with the Mandalorian with Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country with the boys. You're seeing a lot more experimentation, I think, from the, the Emmys as a whole, which is interesting. I wonder if they're doing this in order to get more viewership as people will see, oh, I've watched that show. I've actually watched yeah. that show. I'll tune in and see if it wins. And I wonder if that is a cognizant choice on the Emmys uh, voting block or if it's alternatively just one of the benefits we're seeing from streaming uh, over the years, streaming basically reaching its mature point, because we're at the point with streaming now where we were with cable back in the day with the Emmys, where all of a sudden HBO was taking over and the networks were freaking out. 
it's that ha that's happening again here. We finally reached the tipping point. And so, yeah, maybe the accessibility of streaming and the variety of streaming has tipped the Emmy's hand in a way, being like, we have all this stuff and it's super popular and it's critically acclaimed. You can't ignore it anymore. So maybe it's just the format that's changing things. Maybe, but maybe. if you've seen The Mandalorian, it's a well-deserved show. I'm sure it is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that shows that maybe have always been well-deserved that maybe were, say, too much of a procedural or too sci-fi, streaming gives them a fighting chance in a way that network or cable never did. Right. But then again, Pose is on here, which is a very yeah. forward um, kind of show. It's definitely a more traditional... Um, well, it's interesting that I say that. It's more traditional in the kind of drama it is to be in this right. category. However, content-wise, it is very uh, progressive and daring for the kind of thing that the Emmys usually vote in. So yeah, there is part of me that wishes that Pose, is, uh, Pose has an advantage here. Also interesting about Pose and uh, notable is that in the um, supporting actress category, I believe, or maybe lead actress, I think one of those, uh, the actress nominated for Pose is the first transgender um, actress nominated for an Emmy Award. Yes, uh, MJ Rodriguez from Pose. Yes. So and then Billy Porter. That also for lead actor from Pose. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to mention that while we're on the subject of Pose. Uh, so what about those comedy noms? Since we talked about the drama ones, what about comedy as a category oh, this year? the funny bone ones? Well, <laughs> so funny, yes. They're all so funny this year. Well, we have Black-ish, uh -huh. once again, up here. Yep. Cobra Kai, the Netflix series. Yeah. Cobra Kai. Emily in Paris, because everyone laughed at that. Yeah, that was a very funny comedy. Hacks, <laughs> the flight attendant, also very funny comedy. <laughs> the Kaminsky method, mm -hmm. Pen Fifteen, and defending champ <laughs> Ted Lasso. So yeah, um, this is Ted Lasso's to win. That means it's Ted Lasso's said, to lose as well. Yeah. That being said, it's interesting that we have both your token network show with Blackish. And your token Chuck Lorre show with the Kaminsky method, which is inexplicably back from last year. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, about this one. I think it's, like I said, I think this is Ted Lasso's. Um, but if it's not, it's just, yeah, I feel like uh, Emily in Paris's existence on this is just out of pure momentum, I guess. Because <laughs> I don't think anybody cares about that thing anymore. Uh, Cobra Kai is, I think, your left field choice here. I think that was surprised a lot of people with how much of a success it was. All right, so Ted Lasso won last year, right? No, it was not in the Emmy contention last year. You're thinking about the Golden Globes, Golden Globes. that it won. Uh, this is the first Emmys that Ted Lasso has been entered in because, right. as you very well know, no one has seen season two yet, so this has to be season one. Right, that's why I was a little right. bit confused when I started yes. doing a returning champ. I knew no, it it's won. not. It's not. It's not returning champ. It's a returning champ when you're talking about awards as total because it yes. did take the Golden Globe. It has not won the Emmy yet. This is its year. Golden Globe so long ago. Yeah. It feels like it. <laughs> Certainly. But yeah, no, that's why I think this is Ted Lasso's. If not, though, yeah, I could see a Cobra Kai upset here, really tipping the scales. Uh, but everything else here is just so all over the place. I don't know. I don't know. I could see Blackish just for tenure and it's coming Maybe. up on its last season. 
kind of a crowning achievement kind of thing. Right. Similar to what they did with the Americans two years ago. It's possible. Um, but no, I think this is Ted Lasso. The quality is too hard to ignore. I think yeah. that that is going to take it. All right. So we're in agreement. Ted Lasso. I mean, it is media book so, favorite. Ted Lasso. Media book favorite. Ted Lasso. Only about uh, two weeks until we get more. Yep. So I'm excited. And lastly, in limited series, we have I May Destroy You, Mayor of Easttown, both of which are from HBO, The Queen's Gambit, The Underground Railroad, and WandaVision? Weirdly enough, I think this is your strongest category. I think all of those have a chance. Yes. Which is weird to say. I think WandaVision is a really interesting choice here because it's so different from everything else in this category that it just might convince people. Um, Also, it's just incredibly well made for what it is. I mean, we talked about when we talked about it here on the podcast, just jumping from different kinds of show production, like the product, like looks and production uh, variety, just, and having your actors have to go through so many different modes throughout. It's just, fascinating piece of television that i think people are going to be thinking about for years i think that if they want to honor that it should win this that being said the more traditional winners you do see you do see here have maybe a better chance netflix's queen's gambit is probably the most prestigious choice here the hbo stuff i think might risk canceling each other out because they were both very strong this year um but i think that if you're going for my gut maybe like the political gut choice i think it's underground railroad but the fact that all of them have a chance is saying something right i think that fact that you have both your lead actors for wandavision paul bentney and elizabeth olsen also getting nominations yeah kind of tilts it in its favor right um additionally this is a year where they do not have they do not face opposition from an american crime story (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they lucked out on this one it's the only reason why you get a category like this because there was none yep yeah, so. uh yep and so yeah so those are your major categories right there so yeah those are your emmys uh we'll of course do a proper prediction show when we get a little closer we'll have more information as we go on but uh, overall interesting uh emmys year not a whole lot of surprises but uh Little tiny bits of interesting uh, shows considered that uh, might make for an interesting Emmys. Yep. Interesting to see how many uh, Disney kind of picks up from this past year. This will be the coming out party for Disney Plus if they can pull it off. Uh, and it'll be just in time for people to renew as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What do you know? All right. Let's move on to a, um, a person, a creator of a show who's definitely no stranger to Emmys. Let's talk about Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad fame. The creator of Breaking Bad has re-upped his overall deal with Sony Pictures Television for four more years through his High Bridge production company. This brings his tenure at Sony to almost 20 years. Under his new eight-figure deal, Gilligan will continue to work on Better Call Saul, which is in its sixth and final season. Quote, our relationship with Vince is extraordinarily rare in this business, said Jeff Frost, president of SPT Studios and Jason Claude Filter, what a name, co-president of SPT Studios. That's a Sony, Sony Pictures Television. 
Claude Felter. That's great. Yep. Uh, quote, he is an in integral member of the Sony Pictures family, an inimitable creative genius in everything he does and a remarkable friend. He has been instrumental in the success of Sony Pictures Television and words can't express how elated we are that Vince will continue to create groundbreaking and momentous stories with us, said by a person who is just so, so happy that Netflix didn't wave a billion dollars in front of him. <laughs> Or maybe they did, and maybe he turned them down. Who can say? I don't know. But uh, credit to Vince Gilligan. He likes the people he works with. He's going to keep on trucking with them instead of chasing those streaming dollars. Um, so, yeah, Vince Gilligan is currently in the final year of Better Call Saul. It's sixth mm -hmm. and final season. He is scheduled to do one more Breaking Bad film, okay. I believe, for Sony Pictures Television. But then after that, it's going to be his next project. Whatever he does next, Sony has locked him up for the next four years. Hopefully, they're banking on it being a hit. I mean, it is Vince Gilligan. He's got yeah. two on his hands already. Chances are they're just going to wave him right by with his uh, next one. But it'll be interesting to see. to be seen. Remains to be seen if it's going to take place in that same universe. Could be something else. Maybe he wants to branch out. Yeah, let him Who do something say? new. I would like to see him do something new. Spread those wings a little bit. Why not? Right. I think that's why it's for four years, because he'll get through the end of this year with Better Call Saul. Yeah. And that gives him a year maybe to to find the next big hit project. Conceptualize something for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that'll do it for television news. We have some television thoughts. I feel like we already said our piece about the home run derby and the all-star game, unless you have a little bit more to share about those. No, uh, I'm just putting this down here so that we can add right. it to our to the end, of the, end of the year stuff that we talk about. Well, besides that, you also watched a couple of other things. Now is your chance to finally talk about the Manly Man Tears. It's SP's time. I would talk about Manly Man Tears if I had any. <gasps> what? This was a down year for the SPs. Uh, that's, that's sad. So, it, I mean, as I mentioned during uh, talking about sports, Usually they come after the mm -hmm. All-Star game because the sports are playing. It's the middle of baseball, the NBA finals are over, the hockey finals, NHL finals are over. Everyone's in a travel period right here for baseball from the All-Star game. So that's why they usually do the SBs now. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't. It was pre-recorded from Brooklyn or was it Brooklyn? Whatever. New York. I think it was like overlooking Brooklyn and uh, New York skyline background. But anyways, it was pre-recorded. It wasn't in at LA Live like it normally is. Mm -hmm. It definitely felt a little weirder. Anthony Mackie was the host. Yes, that Captain yeah. America. <laughs> uh, it was fun. Some of his jokes didn't land. Right. I don't know. Flip that. Most of his jokes didn't land. Some of it was okay. <laughs> uh, it's weird. I didn't get those Manly Man tears. A lot of it wasn't a typical award show where they show you all the highlights and it's like, and the winner is. It's this person was by far and away the best thing, or this one thing was by far and away the best thing. So we're going to highlight it rather than it being a traditional award, award show, show where you don't really know who the winner is. They just came out and flat yeah. out said, like, um, this was such an amazing game that it had everyone at the edge of their seats, and here's your winner for Amazing Game. 
and it shows like the highlight package and it says, and here they are to accept the award. And it yeah. was kind of like that over the course of the night. I think there was only three total awards where they showed all potential nominees, all nominees. And just too, too few and far between to be treated as an award show. It was more of a clip package. Okay, here's your award. They didn't have like the tense drama of showing all the nominees, which is typically where you get the manly man tears is, oh, I remember that moment. I saw that moment. That was a great moment. It's yeah. just selectively highlighting the winners. Almost like a like a special as opposed to an award show. It's just like, right. let's talk about the best. In, like they could have just called this best in sports 2020 or something like that. Right. And it would have worked the same. Yeah, so it's yeah, it did give me the manly man tears that the ESPs typically do. Yeah, uh, even their special awards outside from um, Maya. Oh, what's her name? Not Maya. <laughs> Maya. No, no, it's a uh, not Maya Rudolph. Ma- Maya Moore. Okay. Uh, the basketball player Maya Moore. Outside from her story in uh, winning uh, pers- one of the awards, not a whole lot of like tear jerking moments. Uh, let's see, the uh, Arthur Ashe Award. Mm. That's what she won. Yeah, not a lot of tear jerking moments uh, during the uh, ESPYs. So just okay for me this year. Well, I mean, you know what? Kind of makes sense considering it's following a kind of a down year for sports in general. Um, we're in a in the midst of a better year for sports right now, but there's only so much they can talk about in the past. So, yeah, they had limited stuff that they were working with. So I don't necessarily blame them. Next yep. year, the tears will be in full force, I'm sure. Hopefully next year, tears are <laughs> in full force. Right, and then you also watch something else, and I'm not really sure what this is. Uh, so you probably haven't heard of this because it is hidden away in the dark depths of the internet. Mm-hmm. Like locked and sealed behind Jeff Bezos and Amazon <laughs> ah. is IMDB TV. <laughs> right, that exists. Because that exists. So how do I phrases <laughs> 10 years ago okay. when facebook was heavily marketing its fan pages everywhere i was a fan of leverage the original tv show uh, that aired on tnt back in the day with timothy oliphant sure well it went off the air uh eight years ago to the day and we hadn't heard anything since until i saw my facebook feed two years ago that they were doing a sequel to it uh-huh. leverage redemption and i got excited thing is coming back to tv and then i got disappointed because it was going to be on imdb tv <laughs> so i did what any sane person would do mm-hmm. wait for all the episodes to come out and sign up for a one-day trial for imdb tv well done so that's what i did and I watched it all. It's eight episodes. 
It's real short, but it does give me the same kind of good feeling that the original Leverage gave me, but in a more modern take. And mm-hmm. you can say, well, how modern can it be in 10 to 12 years? Like, don't we really have the same technology? We do and we don't because cell phones are now more prevalent than they are, than they have been. People can access information a lot more easier. Um, Digital footprints are more of a thing. Security cameras, facial recognition are everywhere throughout this. There's a lot more new tech jargon that's being thrown around within the series, as well as pointing fingers at the big companies and uh, more specifically the people who run them mm-hmm. and their evil doings or not the really evil doings but morally now, bankrupt no you're right evil <laughs> doings <laughs> where they deal with uh, big pharma big tech mm-hmm. security uh, art um, art theft uh, different uh, casinos um land ownership a lot of these new i don't say new problems because they've always been there but more prevalent problems that we've seen within the at least the past five years pop up where we've seen people kind of get their comeuppance but then again not really since we've had like the stock market crash and then the opioid crisis and then the stock market crashed again and then the housing crisis and a lot of different stuff that's happened in just like the past five or so years kind of being pointed to within leverage redemption of these people never really got their comeuppance and so here we are to set the score right which is what leverage is all about bad guys pulling cons on the rich and powerful in order to as it implies get leverage on them right so it plays exactly like the original leverage did which if you liked the original leverage it's just like that. It's really good. Um, they bring in a new character, Noah Wiley, into the mix. Um, he's fine. He plays <laughs> a lawyer who actually helped these big corporations and people mm-hmm. kind of hide away their money. And now this is his repentance, or should I say redemption, as the name implies, <laughs> of him trying to set his soul right in a sense Mm. that he wants to do good now that he helped these people get away because he was the best lawyer of making plea deals and making things go away a fixer of sorts and now he wants Mm. to fix things the other way now i don't expect people to go rush out to watch this on tv no i don't expect this to get a second season if it's going to stay on imdb tv (laughs) however much like Titans, uh, which is the DC show, it is currently airing, I think this fall, on TNT after uh-huh. have, being on DC Universe and then HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Its first season is going to currently air um, on TNT. So I expect in about a year for Leverage, Colon Redemption to do the exact same thing, yeah. which is have it still stuff still streaming, but at the same time, being on a network late at night because they need some filler stuff. Makes sense. So if it gets one season, it'll go the way of Heroes Reborn and it's just, oh, it was a thing. <laughs> it didn't need to be a thing. 
but it's a thing. But I did really like how they changed up the setting from Boston and New York down to New Orleans. Yeah. But better life, but better, more vibe with with the city. Sure. A lot more. I want to say, uh, a lot more youthful energy rather than being in Boston or a big city. Right. Yeah. A lot less boring old people mm-hmm. cracking up your plots. <laughs> yep. But yeah, well, the redemption back. So it sounds like they made it for like 10 people and you just happen to be one of those 10 people. Well, I am one of those 10 people. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Yep. All righty. All right. I did not watch any uh, new television. Uh, we're currently going through um, some kind of break period while, right, while we're waiting for new shows like uh, Owl House and Ted Lasso to start up again in the coming days. So mm-hmm. We'll talk more about those when they premiere. But for now, no big new TV to really speak of. Well, there is one big TV that happens today, at least the day of us recording this. And that is the Loki finale. Right, yes. We don't have time uh, to get into it yet, uh, but we will talk about it next week. So uh, Uh, so yeah, next week, next episode will be a Loki spoiler heavy (laughs) episode where we'll talk all about Loki the series and then what it means for the MCU going forward but as to not avoid spoilers yeah or ruin anyone to avoid spoilers <laughs> yeah so we'll wait on that one because it's hard to talk about the show without talking about spoilers so it we'll talk about like it, it next week yeah but just no thumbs up media <laughs> podcast get past that third episode because that was shit <laughs> mm. and then um You'll enjoy the rest. See. See about that. All right, let's move on into our next category, which is cancellations and renewals, where we talk about... What am I no longer watching? What you're no longer watching, and maybe some things that you still are. First up in the list here, Rutherford Falls on Peacock is getting a second season. Evil. On H- on Paramount Plus, yes, I was thinking the same thing. Um, is getting a third season. Pause with Sam J gets a second season on HBO. Cursed is canceled after one second season on Netflix. Maybe it was cursed. Uh, Good Witch, maybe the person who did the cursing. Uh, had a seventh season uh, finale, which will be its series finale on Hallmark. Uh, Power Book Three. Never heard. Never. It's on Hallmark. Uh, Power Book Three: Colon Raising Canaan. Canaan. Uh, I believe that is Power Book Three. Oh. Based off the Power. Series. Oh, Fifty Cent's Power. Yes. Yes. And that was on Stars, so it'll get a so second. So I guess it should really look like this then. Power, Power colon Book Three colon Raising Canaan. Yes. <laughs> I believe so, but it's not like it sounds right. right there. But yeah, it's not Power Book. It's Power Book Three. Power Book. Power Book. It's about a Macintosh. It's very strange. All right. Oh yes, and then uh, not really a spoiler to tell you this: uh, that Disney Disney Plus will be renewing Loki for his second season. There will be more Loki. It's not over. Well, I guess that is a spoiler since we're not talking about Loki, but. <laughs> but kind of, I guess. But kind of. 
according to you. If you didn't see it coming. <laughs> if you didn't think that Disney Plus was going to renew a big successful show. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> next up, deaths. We just have one quick one to talk about here. Andy Williams, age 49, the drummer for Casting Crowns. Uh, yes, that is Casting Crowns, not Casting Crows. Yeah, very different. Casting Crowns is the religious rock band. Yeah, they're a Christian rock band. Um, don't know a lot about them, but Dan 49 is young, so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a rough one. With that, let's move on into music. And I toss this over to you. And we always start music with the <laughs> billboard. And we start the billboard with the Hot 100. And BTS is still at the top of its game as it's at the top of its charts. I like butter. Number one with butter. Hot like butter. <laughs> and number two, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Good for you. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> because she's 17. At three, yes. Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring the baby. <laughs> At four, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat featuring SZA. And welcome back to the top five, Montero, Call Me yes. By Your Name by Lil Nas X. Good to see him pop back up. I believe this is in the wake of him announcing his debut record, which will have that song on it. Right. I believe it's also called Montero. Also called Montero. Or it's called Call Me By Your Name. I forget which it's one called Montero. The you, had joke. It, you had it right the first time. Right. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, as for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, here comes the bride. That is Olivia Rodrigo with <laughs> Sour, your number one album this week. Uh, at number two, Planet Her by Doja Cat. At number three, the Voices of, uh, sorry, The Voice of the Hero by Lil Nas X. I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. That's Lil Baby and <laughs> Lil Dirk. I knew that. <laughs> Too many Lil's. And yet I saw it and I knew that was wrong as it came out of my mouth. Well, guess what? Just prepare your mouth to say the next thing. Because it's also something wrong that's coming <sighs> out of my mouth. Back into the top five at number four. Is Dangerous colon the double album by Morgan Wallen. We escaped it for one week and it's back. Well, it's been one week <laughs> since we've said his name. Save your bare naked ladies jokes for just a moment. All right. And running at your top five <laughs> is 25 by G Erbo. <laughs> or Herbo, I don't know. <laughs> Could be both, either one. I don't know, actually. You don't know where it came from. <laughs> All right. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. We do. Yep. And we start with that same bare naked ladies joke. <laughs> yes. Uh, because, yes, those bare naked ladies yes. have a new album out called To Detour De Force. <laughs> Get it? Detour de force. Detour de force. <laughs> we uh, we also have Sling by Claro. That would be the Jack Antonoff produced new Claro record. Just letting y'all know. Click click Domino by Ida May. Sob Rock by John Mayer. <laughs> yes, 
That, that John Mayer. Welcome to the Madhouse by Tone and I. It should be Tones. By Tones and I. They had that hit last year, inexplicably, if you remember. Uh, shake something, shake something, or dance Funk. monkey, dance, dance monkey. monkey. That was Tones and I. And lastly, Hideaway by Waves. Hey, remember Waves? Remember 2010? Yeah. Welcome back. Uh, all right. <laughs> anyway. That waves. Yes, that waves. All right. Uh, so let's get some music news then, shall we? Let's. And we start with Bebo Favorite. I'll call it Bebo Favorite. I like that last album. Yeah, we Ballsy. did. We enjoyed that last record. In fact, that's more or less why I included this story. It's an interesting story in a slow week, but also additionally, I'm kind of looking forward to this. Yep. Halsey, that Halsey, um, I think I had her on my top five last year. I think so. Um, well, is announcing a new album. Well, before her album actually releases, which releases on August 27th, she will bring If I Can't Have Love, I Want the Power to the, the film. That's a film. That's a film? That's a film. Yes, the film. The film on August 3rd. <laughs> the film, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. Yes. On August 3rd. The 26-year-old artist known for her visuals is taking her first dive into film with the IMAX presentation. Collaborating with director Colin Tilly, who she previously worked with on videos for Without Me and You Should Be Sad, uh, Halsey also wrote the film. Quote, this film is about the lifelong social labyrinth of sexuality and birth. The greatest horror stories never told were buried with the bodies of those who died in that labyrinth. Heavy shit, huh? Yeah. Um, so this goes hand in hand with the record that she's releasing. This is the one that we had a story about a couple weeks ago about it being produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Also notable is that this goes hand in hand with the album cover, which is uh, a woman that I'm pretty sure is Halsey herself, uh, breastfeeding a infant. Um, so she's going for a theme of pregnancy here um, and sexuality and birth and talking about that kind of thing. It's a really ambitious, big multimedia push for uh, for an artist who previously has not done something like this. So it's just fascinating. Halsey seems like she's taking a big swing here. And uh, hey, all power to her. If she can make this work, I mean, she's going to be operating at a a Lady Gaga level, uh, which is not a level that a lot of pop artists get to as quickly as Halsey has. Yep, uh, definitely looks like a Game of Thrones kind of <laughs> yes. throne that she's sitting on there. Yes. And yes, that is indeed a nipple on the cover. <laughs> hey, you know what? Lord showing her ass, you know, Halsey showing, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, the summer is upon us. People are wearing less clothes. Although, to be fair, it's not about the sexuality. She has stated that it's supposed to be about the acceptance of breastfeeding. And yes. that's a Free the nipple to her. motherhood. It's right. to not be a so, shameful thing. Just to be 100% clear, we're not being perps here. <laughs> we're just no. say, say, saying the facts. State the facts for y'all. Yep. Um, 
but yeah, so it's an interesting big swing and I hope it works uh, because yeah, it's kind of putting her in some rarefied air if she uh, makes this work. Yeah, I mean, this does seem to kind of be a trend where uh, artists will release a film in co- accordance with an album as well. So, yeah, could be cool. Could be good. Or it could be more of a visual album. Yeah, yeah, kind of like They're a kinda, Beyonce kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, Beyonce thing. That's what I'm thinking. Like Lemonade. Yep. Cool. Or Black is King. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to our second story is a little bit of a collab with uh, or, Billboard darling Olivia Rodrigo uh-huh. and Media Boat darling Taylor Swift. Or is it? Or is it? Because the timeline here is the interesting part. Right. Because Olivia Rodrigo and her main collaborator, songwriter and producer, Daniel uh, Negro, have given Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff, and St. Vincent a songwriting credit on Deja Vu. You know, that second song uh, that came out off of Sour. Um, Well, it's also the second song from Sour to receive such a non-collaborative credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hold on. You went green for some reason. I went green? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hold on. (laughs) Sorry. I guess it not only turned green, I also muted automatically, and I didn't know it did that. (laughs) Anyway. Anyways, uh, there you go. Fixed you. Yay. Anyway. All right. Anyways, sorry about, uh, sorry about that. Technical difficulties for the YouTube cast, not sorry for the audio version. There we go. I did. I finished. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, this is the second song to receive uh, a such a non-collaborative credit after One Step Forward and Three Steps Back. Yes. The addition to the album's credit was first noted by Rolling Stones. While the two have met, but apparently have never collaborated in person, Rodrigo has spoken at length about Swift's huge influence on her own writing and artistry, and the connection between Swift's New Year's Day and One Step Forward is fairly clear. So, yeah. You want me to continue? Yeah, sorry. I thought yeah. that was the end of the story. Nope. The influence <laughs> of Cruel Summer on Deja Vu is less tangible, however, amounting basically to yelling on the bridge, which is more of an arrangement <laughs> touch than a songwriting one, <laughs> even though Rodrigo has acknowledged the influence in mm-hmm. interviews. So, yeah, so it's this, the, the story doesn't do a great job of really framing what's happening here. The reason why Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff, and St. Vincent specifically are credited here is because they are the songwriters behind Cruel Summer, specifically. So it seems like that Olivia Rodrigo was tipped off that there might be some sort of legal reason that she might want to credit them for Good good Free, or Deja Vu, even though maybe it wasn't Taylor herself. It maybe was, it seems like these decisions are usually made from a legal standpoint. That's not officially said here. Obviously, Olivia's people aren't going to be like 
yeah, we did this to not get sued. And like I said, Taylor's a fan, so I don't think she'd get litigious. That being said, it's still a good idea to cover your butt just in case. And the story is also right in a way where it's not... The, the, the bridge of Deja Vu does feel a little bit like the bridge of Cruel Summer, and that is on purpose. Olivia Rodrigo has said in interviews, as the states, that it is an inspiration for that kind of yelly bridge. But the two are very different um, in the way they're actually executed. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It seems like a legal change that she was maybe forced to do. But it doesn't hurt because it, def- it definitely now that if Taylor Swift shows up twice in your credits, that's not going to hurt you. Um, so so it's, I thought it was an interesting story about like how sometimes how specific, I guess, uh, lawyers had get when it comes to crediting in this very litigious world of songwriting that we live in now. Right. It's definitely a songwriting credit. So does this mean that she'll get royalties on it? Yes. It does mean that Taylor will get royalties from uh, Deja Vu now going forward. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Right. But, I don't think it's something like she called her up and said, hey, did you do this like as an homage to me or I mean, straight up used? We'll never really know is the answer to that. Like, they're never going to tell us if Taylor was the one who requested this or not. I just have a gut feeling that she probably didn't. I have a gut feeling that says these are probably Olivia's team. This is probably Olivia's team being like, hey, maybe we should just be sure just in case that this could get out of hand and maybe doing this as a preventative measure. Right. I mean, Sour is the number one album, so it's kind of difficult not to at least hear this song and kind of make some comparisons. Yeah. If that's the comparison that you want to end up reaching. I mean, yeah, it's interesting, and uh, yeah, I don't really think anything is going to come out of it, but interesting songwriting story nonetheless. Yep. All right. All righty, now next. Uh, that's all we have for music stories. Did you watch any, or did you listen to anything? No, nothing really, but I saw the same thing that you are going to talk about. Yes. My turn to talk about stuff. Yes, it's time. It's time. The long-awaited, long-overdue, long-delayed, thrice-delayed, actually, (laughs) because it was spring and then fall and then spring again, Right, has finally come to fruition. Stagecoach, the Country Music Festival, (laughs) one of the largest country music festivals, is returning, and they have announced Uh, the lineup. You know what this means, though? R.I.P. Stagecoach, 2020 to 2020. (laughs) Uh, To 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Because it'll uh, be back 2022. You'll be missed, Stage Couch. <laughs> anyway. Or Stay Coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah stage stay Couch, Stay Couch. I like Stage Couch and Couchella. Yeah, Couchella. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yes, the lineup for Stage Coach. And while one of our uh, dream predictions did not come to fruition, it seemed like several of yours did. Yes, including Thomas Rhett, Marin Morris, Grammy winning Mary Morris mm-hmm. and band I just saw, Midland, yes. Yes. will be headlining the first night. When I saw that, I was like, oh, they've got to be really thrilled about that. Not only are they going, but they're also like given like pretty big font in the poster. I was like, good for them. Yeah. I was happy to see that. Uh, but we also get Carrie Underwood. Yes. 
that Carrie Underwood <laughs> returning for a fifth time, I believe, to Stagecoach. And this will be her third time um, headlining a night. Uh, Brothers Osborne and Lee Bryce as well. And then rounding off uh, on Sunday, mm-hmm. the current big artist, which depending on how you lean on him, <laughs> may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> that being of Luke Combs yeah, uh, with the Black Crows and Cody Johnson and Smokey Robinson? Yes. That's Smokey Robinson. That's your left field choice that they put in this year. No, that's your old school choice that they put in this year. (laughs) Uh, Which means that he's officially taken the place of what would have been Alan Jackson instead. Uh, We were supposed to get him in 2020. And didn't. And then we didn't. Um, One shout out I want to make about Night 3, though, uh, that I'm excited for y'all to tell me about potentially send me some video from is uh media boat favorite Haley Witters. Yep. Uh she'll probably be one of the earlier ones, but probably also the one performing right as we walk into the show. Okay. Well if you, if you catch any of her, send it on to me. <laughs> Big uh, fan. Will do. Uh also Brandy <laughs> Carlisle will be here as yep. well. Also Tanya Tucker. Yes. Yeah. That Tanya Tucker. Yeah. Um and then um, has recently become a stagecoach kind of staple. <laughs> Personal favorite. Yes. And human cartoon character, Guy Fieri. Yes. Will once again do his smokehouse for food at Stagecoach. You'd love to see it and taste oh, it. And Diplo is returning for his late night Sunday <laughs> DJ set. Yeah. Uh, oh, Diplo, what are you doing there? <laughs> well i mean i'm rolling over my tickets from two years ago now so <laughs> much delayed festival i think this will indeed be the first festival i return to um yeah. as i mentioned last week and briefly dropped like two seconds ago i did go to a concert over the weekend it was an open-air concert at a very small venue unofficially sponsored by In-N-Out because there's big In-N-Out on the hill above the stage. It was like, yeah, I see you. <laughs> uh, and it was for a uh, band mentioned, Midland. Wasn't all that good, but then again, this was like only their third performance before going on the road again. So yeah. I kind of went in expecting it to, well, not be spectacular, but also see it more as a tune-up. And it definitely was a tune-up as they missed several chords and even forgot words to a song. Oops. And you can't do that when you only have two albums. Well, (laughs) two and a half albums, really. Yeah. Uh, But like I said, I kind of took it as a tune-up. There was only 3,000 people there. I've been to a much crowded stadium uh, at an Angels baseball game recently than that, which is why I kind of felt kind of acceptable going and then, like, staying away distance and outdoors and concert and being vaxxed and all that. So right, it was definitely right. a fun time. Um, kind of got me a little bit excited to go to more concerts, but so long as they're outdoors. Not really for an indoor concert yet. Yeah, not quite. But cool. Uh, well, I look forward to hearing uh, your reports, but that's a while from now. That's almost a year. Uh, yes, this is 
April. Yes. End of April of 2022, which means, and it kind of begs the question with this being out, Coachella lineup? I, it's got to be coming, right? Like, soon, I mean, you think. Typical stagecoach comes after Coachella. Yeah, unless they're waiting until the usual, what do they usually drop in, like, January sometime? Um, well, the stagecoach lineup typically drops in October. Hmm. So maybe it's September then. So maybe we're maybe we'll wait a couple more months and see where they're at. Right, or maybe they're they're waiting to see what happens with uh, Lollapalooza coming maybe. up. Maybe, maybe. Yep, uh, I, I don't have anything for Coachella currently. Yep, uh, they do have the dates set though, but no music. Mm. To come. Yeah, to come. Join the right. wait list. <laughs> Alrighty. Let's move right. on. So let's uh, move in right now to video games, shall we? Yeah. We always start video games with new releases. We start with Death Store for the Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Cotton Reboot for the PS4 and the Switch. Mm-hmm. Chris Tales for the <laughs> Christ Tales. I think it's Chris Tales. I don't know. Just like, hey, let's just tell some stories about person Chris. Chris Tales <laughs> for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Switch, PC. If you yep. got it, you can play it. Christ Tales. <laughs> Chris Tales. Chris Tales. And lastly, the remake, re-release, HD, re-skinned, <laughs> up thing that someone's been waiting for, not me. Yeah. The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD for the Switch. Yeah. yeah, not just a graphical upgrade, but it seems like they did a bunch of quality of life changes as well. Think kind of what they did with Wind, uh, Wind Waker HD for the Wii U. Um, yep. So yeah. Uh, Skyward Sword, kind of one of the more maligned Zelda games. Also, I believe the only console Zelda I have never played. Fun fact about me. Um, so yeah, Skyward Sword, controversial Zelda game, but uh, maybe it'll have a new, find a new audience on the Switch. I believe Skyward Sword is technically the beginning of the Zelda timeline. It is chronologically, yes, the first in the chronological timeline. Um, so if you care about the very, very, very loose canon of the Zelda <laughs> uh, series, then I guess that's this game is notable because of that. But yeah, it also had annoying motion controls that, thank God, are optional in this release. Right, because you can play this on the uh, Switch it's Lite. Pro Controller and a Switch Lite. Not really, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Pro Controller as well. So, but you can move the camera angle around. That, that is new. Yeah, that is new. All right, let's start talking about some Nintendo because we'll get to that in a bit here. Right. As we start with the bit that we dropped at the end of last episode, and that yeah. is the PlayStation State of Play and so, yeah. continuing coverage of E3. I guess. Ish. Summer, summer of Games. Summer of Games. Uh, Technically, Sony didn't really do an E3 presentation. No, and this was definitely not that either. So I didn't watch this. Did you watch this? I did watch this. Okay. 
then I'll let you take this one because I did not have very much information, so I didn't have very much information to write down. All right. Well, this was mainly a big kind of not indie developed. Well, yeah, it's technically indie it was. Developer. Yeah, I'd say there was a fair amount of indie games. Yeah, fair amount of indie developer showcase for PlayStation State of Play, which was last Thursday. We're just now getting to it. <laughs> and it was anchored by the new Deathloop footage, yeah. which also showed off a lot more of the new combat and kind of a little bit more of the new story that we're being introduced to. Deathloop, of course, PS5. Exclusive. Exclusive. I was going to say Darling, but it's not really out yet, so you can't really call it Darling. But <laughs> one of the games most people are looking forward to now that Ratchet and Clank is out mm-hmm. yeah. from the PS5 is Deathloop. Also, now that Returnal's out as well, but yeah. we'll get to that later. Uh, they also showed off Moss colon Book 2. This is that mouse game. The VR yeah. game where you're a mouse, like kind of like a fighter mouse. Um, a night mouse with a whole sword. So <laughs> Moss gets a sequel. Um, both VR and non-VR. We also have Arcade Geddon, which was announced. I forget which one this one is. Um, I believe that's already out in some form. Uh, I think that was one of those where they they announced it, talked about it, and they were like, hey, you can play it. Uh, that's um, probably why I just went over my head then. Yeah. I don't know a lot about it either. Yep. We also have a new fighting game, Forged in Shadow Torch. Or, if you don't want to say all that, Fist. Fist. New fighting game coming soon. Uh, we also have Tribes of Midgard announced. Yes, yet another Viking esque game. <laughs> Vikings are hot right now. Who knew? Uh, we also have Sifu, which was pushed to 2022. Yeah, this was announced last year, I want to say, at their E3. Yeah. Uh, Sifu is the fighting dragon uh yeah something to do with dragons i yeah. don't remember well because i thought it was part of the, the yakuza thing no it no. has nothing to do with the yakuza games okay uh we also have new gameplay for jet colon the far shore yes that jet game is getting a sequel no that's not a sequel to anything uh this is the this is super jet. brothers guys this is their first game in like a decade, and this is that weird like sci-fi looking deal. No, I think. Oh no, I'm thinking of Wet. You're thinking of something else completely. Something else completely, <laughs> dude. If they were making Wet Two, I'm on board. <laughs> Where's Wet Two? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also had Demon Slayer, uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba, <laughs> which was announced, which is based on the anime and current. Um animated film box office winner champion that demon slayer yeah i believe so um this is a game based on that anime slash film franchise well it's an anime and they made a really great film apparently but i've yet to see either so yes that demon slayer is getting a video game (laughs) and lastly which was announced prior to, but then actually showed actual footage of it, Death Stranding Director's Cut. Yeah. Which showed a lot of new stuff that from people saying it's a 
great quality of life improvement in the game. Mm-hmm. And also uh, the uh, fun part about uh, after after this apparently um, aired, uh, Hideo Kojima said something on social media about he doesn't actually think that director's cut makes sense as the name of this because they didn't cut anything. They added right. more, which I think is really hilarious. But at least he's aware of that. <laughs> no, I gave you the game I wanted. I'm just giving you more of the game that I wanted. <laughs> I think if anywhere it looks like the director's cut nomenclature is maybe coming from Sony because you'll note that last week when we talked about the Ghost of Tsushima PS5 also edition, that is director's also called director's cut. So maybe that's just their approach now. Well, you can't really call it a game of the year edition yeah. because one, it didn't win the game of the year, but two, <laughs> there was no external content that can just be bundled into it. I don't know. I can actually name the publications that named both Ghost of Tsushima and Death Stranding their game of the year last year. <laughs> um, I believe Ghost of Tsushima won the Game Awards that year. And uh, I want to say GameSpot gave game of the year to Death Stranding. I want to say that that's what happened. Could be wrong. But anyways, that so those are both technically games of the year. Right, but typically when they announce game of the year, it's Here's all the stuff that you could have purchased from our DLC, but because you don't have internet connection or what have you. Yeah, this is a little different of approach. It's like more about like, no, this is the definitive edition of this game. So, yep. I guess they can't really call it definitive edition then. They could. They could if they wanted to. Anyway. Anyways, uh, let's get through these last bit of news here. Yeah, bit bit of news. I don't. I do mean that as it is video game bits. Yep, just a handful of things that all happen at once that we should talk about. First one, I need to apologize for. This happened last week. It was in time for us to talk about it. Totally slipped my mind. Go for it. Well, it was a thing. It was a big <laughs> thing. Big announcement. Yeah. But then ultimately, did it really even matter? I think so. Because Nintendo announced a new Switch model. And not that Switch model no. you're thinking of. It is an OLED Switch model releasing on October with a 7-inch OLED screen, a new dock with Ethernet port, and no internal (laughs) upgrades at all. So this is the end of a long, long story that we've been kind of dealing with for a few months now about Bloomberg reporting about a super-powered Switch that could do 4K, potentially upscaled, all this stuff about new switches and it was coming soon. It was going to be announced before E3 and then during E3 and then right after E3 never came to fruition. So my take on this is Nintendo realized that a stopgap solution with a better screen that they can uh, make more of because OLED screens are probably being manufactured in higher numbers than the LED that they made um, for the Switch back in 2017. It's an easy way to like kick a little bit the, the sales of the Switch a little bit up while they in a period of time that they could be slipping, although it's the Nintendo Switch, so they're not, um, without necessarily having to completely splinter the user base by introducing a new, more powerful Switch that can run other games. It's smart in a lot of ways. I think that the only reason why people are disappointed by this news is because they got their hopes too high. I think those reports sounded great, but the reports also were never confirmed. And that's the risk when you're talking about things that are just reports. 
my guess is, is that superpower 4K Switch does exist, but we'll see it next year. Yep, everybody had high, high hopes for a minute, shooting <laughs> for the stars, but they yeah. couldn't make the living. No. Um, yeah, so we're just going to have to deal with the current power level of the Switch. But hey, if you want one with a slightly nicer screen um, and a dock with a better kickstand uh, and an Ethernet port, then this is available. It's $50 more than the current Switch, so you'd have to pony up $350 for this, baby. But if you don't have one already, I guess this is the model to get. But also, if you don't have a Switch already, what have you been doing? Because um, well, there was so. the Switch, and then there was the new Nintendo Switch, and then there was there's now oh, the light is what you're thinking of. No, and... no, there was a Switch upgrade after oh, the initial release that they just they did uh, just a battery and like new battery and yep. that thing. They didn't even brand it new. They just said this is the Switch now. Right. Um, but yeah, anyways, it's. It's interesting because it does kind of solve a, pro- a potential problem that could have gotten Nintendo in trouble down the line, uh, which was providing those screens at a fast enough manufacturing rate. But yes, it's going to disappoint a lot of people who need who need a more powerful switch for the upcoming games that I'm sure will tax the already aging hardware, including Breath of the Wild 2 and Pokemon Legends. Right, but not... Super Smash Brothers. But not Super Smash Brothers, which continues to kick around. And not um, Metroid Dread, who, which looks like it's going to be your big release alongside this OLED model, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem like it'll tax the hardware too much. Boxed release, I'm calling it. Boxed release, uh, dual pack. I don't think so. I'm going to say you're wrong, because they know that they can get away with spend, uh, people buying that thing sight unseen without a game packed in. <laughs> I 100% bet. I'm just saying you can you can skin it for especially for Metroid. Yeah, you can do that. No, I bet they do the Animal Crossing thing, which you do see a Metroid Dread themed skin, but it does not include the game in the box. That's what they (laughs) did with Animal Crossing. The Animal Crossing Switch never had Animal Crossing in it. But it was light blue. (laughs) Yeah, it had Animal Crossing characters and everything on it. It didn't contain Animal Crossing. You had to buy Animal Crossing. I thought it came with a download code for it. No, it does it did not. It's a common misconception. Got a lot of people in trouble. Trust me. <laughs> As someone who got, uh, who had to help a, a, a shop for someone's birthday, I know this is true. <laughs> so, I mean, you experienced it, so I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the Animal Crossing to this day switch does not include Animal Crossing in in the box, so download weird. code or otherwise. All so, right, they know they can get away with it. They know they sell those switches regardless, so they do. Okay, uh, let's get to our second story there. Uh, speaking of Super Smash Brothers, yeah, what, what if you wanted to have that kind of thing, that kind of gameplay, but with Nickelodeon cartoons? If you want to beat up on some SpongeBob, on some Invader Zim, on some Hey Arnold characters, on some uh, Ah Real Monsters. <laughs> And some Danny Phantoms. And I'm surprised they got Butcherman to agree to it, or maybe just his studio. <laughs> but if you want Nick Tunes to fight each other, do I have a game for you? Nickelodeon All Star <laughs> Brawl announced. Well, I never wanted this, um, though it seems like a lot of people are very excited for this thing. Yeah, what a fascinating thing. So, 
the roster's all over the place. It seems to like that they're trying to get all those 90s like nostalgia picks in there as well. Like you mentioned with characters from All Real Monsters and Hey Arnold, which I don't think kids today even recognize. Balanced with some newer characters like a couple of characters from Loud House um, and SpongeBob. Flapjack is in there. Flapjack? That's was, that, was that Loud House? Show that character loud house is what you're thinking because yeah flapjack is a cartoon network yeah uh and you're right like some weird left field choices like danny phantom weird that danny phantom's here but no representation from the fairly odd parents which was arguably the more popular show i'm sure they will be in there Hmm. yeah and that's the thing is that there's a lot there's likely more characters to be revealed there's probably a larger roster than we're seeing now Uh, i would like to see like a couple angry beavers in there Mm mm-hmm I would like to see Cat Dog. Maybe Cat Dog controls like the ice climbers. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things they could do here, but interesting concept. I mean, would I rather have a Cartoon Network fighting game? Absolutely. But, or would I rather have a Disney um, television animation fighting game? Yes, but this will do, I guess. This is interesting for people who are nostalgic for these characters. Yeah, um, people are freaking out about this, although. <laughs> If you really wanted to get a crossover for Nickelodeon, they've already done this before for the TS with Nicktoons crossover and Nickelodeon kart racing. Right. This has already existed. This crossover has already existed just now that they're fighting each other instead of a common enemy. I think the, the reason why I think this one's getting more attention than those other games is because, one, you're right, it's a Smash-like. People love Smash. But also, apparently, it's being done by a developer that has at least put out one popular and critically loved smash like so they've proven themselves and that's why i think you're seeing people who care about video games actually care about this because it could be good i think a lot of people are convinced that this actually could be decent and yet playstation (laughs) all-stars is a thing yeah but playstation all-stars from a fundamental way in a fundamental design way did not work so people, if people played it, they just didn't like it because setting it up where you had to put everything you did into using a super that would last like three seconds and it wouldn't even be guaranteed to hit anybody was why that game was bad. <laughs> yeah, well, it looks like uh, some of these levels are fairly more in line with um, Smash Brothers and has changing and what do they call them? Action settings? Action worlds? Yeah, I forget the terms they're using, but it seems like they're going for a very dynamic kind of um, variety for the kind of... Maybe it is dynamic worlds. Maybe, I don't know. It's an interesting idea, and I think that with these characters, it could be charming, but um, who is this for? Is my question. Especially when he has older characters? Yeah. like The kids... The only one that's currently airing because it will yeah. continue to air for the end of time Sponge is Spongebob. And Loud House. I believe Loud House is still on television. Um, yeah, like what, what kid under the age of 30 is going to know who Powdered Toast Man is? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. All right. Um, other gaming bits. Ghostwire colon Tokyo has been delayed to 2022. Yeah. That's the one that looked exactly like Tokyo with ghosts everywhere. Yeah, and this is uh, another Sony and PC uh, release from Bethesda that was a deal inked before the Xbox deal. So, uh, 
make your conspiracies, theories, whatever you may, but uh, the game's just taking long. That's all. All right. And lastly, in video game news, a dispute with lead actor's representation has ended the Judgment series following Lost Judgment's release. Okay, so let's get into this real briefly. I won't spend too much time on it. Oh, so, I'd love to spend too much time on this because it's legal stuff. Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Japanese talent law, uh, but Japanese actors, specifically actors who used to be in J-pop groups, have a reputation of being very held very to very strict standards. Um, the lead actor in the video game Judgment and the upcoming Judge- Lost Judgment, the sequel, uh, just happens to be one of those actors. He was in a J-pop group, very popular, still works with the same um, team um, and, as his representation as an actor. His likeness is used in the Judgment games, but they have control over how that likeness is used going forward. So the theory, this has not been confirmed, but the theory is, is that when renegotiating with his representation for future games in the Judgment franchise, which we'll I'll quickly note, Rewind the tape back a few weeks ago, we had a story about Judgment and the Yakuza series saying that the developer wanted Judgment to be their action-focused version of that kind of game and Yakuza to continue in the RPG direction um, introduced by um, Like a Dragon, the most recent Yakuza game, implying that they were hoping on Judgment sticking around so they could continue making Judgment games. Well, flash forward to this story, where it seems like his representation are not happy with his likeness being used for PC games. This apparently is a no-go for the Yakuza developer. They've made a lot of money recently porting the Yakuza games to PC. Uh, Judgment 1, I believe, has a pretty uh, popular PC port as well. Lost Judgment does not have a PC port on the books right now, and it might never if this is the case. So it seems like they were happy with being like, well, I guess we can't make Judgment games anymore. And basically, because of the draconian uh, protection that this representation team has over this guy. So that's more or less what's going on here. Uh, it sucks because, like I said, like they had aspirations for that series. People like the Judgment game, and the sequel seems to be just as good. And it would suck if they don't get to make more of them. Of course, why don't they just get a new actor is a valid question. Uh, but hey, maybe they just don't feel like it would be the same. Uh, Japanese voice actors, Japanese companies typically don't replace voice actors. Yeah. Especially after they pass, they won't replace them. Yeah. It's a different culture and they're strict by strict about a lot of things. Uh, I mean, if you remember even back, I want to say two years ago, we recorded on a story about the first judgment being delayed because of an actor, not the lead actor, but another actor that was caught with drugs. And we talked about how Japan is very, very um, strict about drug use over there as well. And so it's just, yeah, it's just a different world over there. And it just happens to have knock-on effects for release of these video games everywhere else too. By the way, that Judgment story that we talked about, back in May. That was May. Well, (laughs) end of may ish but yeah that was a may story that was yeah geez time where does it go where does it go i don't know it's kind of feels like time is one big circle where anything we do today is just the same thing tomorrow and the same thing the next hour and same thing the next five minutes too 
Perhaps. Well, it's like we're returning back to the same starting point. It's like an eternal return. You might want to call that a return. I mean, if you're going to combine words into new stuff, sure. Why not? <laughs> so yeah, I have one game thought to talk about real briefly so we don't stick too much time on this. Um, I got Returnal at the same time I got Ratchet and Clank. Obviously, I played Ratchet and Clank first because it was the hotness at the time. But I've circled also the back. better game, but go ahead. Uh, hold on to that thought. Hmm. Uh, so I decided, okay, well, now I've given, given Ratchet and Clank a good shake. Let's play Returnal before I return these. And you know what? Returnal's pretty cool. So it's run-based. It's like a, a roguelike, kind of like your Hades. You are roughly going to this through the same experience every time. Um, there are multiple, just like Hades, multiple like levels uh, that you have to get past uh, to get to the ultimate end. And when you die, you reset right at the beginning of all of that with only your um, only certain things as permanent progress. Uh, that includes um, permanent weapons that you get, uh, not weapons, I guess, permanent tools that you get for navigating through the world. They don't get removed. But things like the weapons that you get during your runs, like items, experience, uh, stuff like that, like the like the only like incremental ones that only help you a little bit, those reset completely when you die. Right. So it's um, like a so it is roguelike where it's very much a roguelike. Some stuff will you'll keep on to other stuff you have to pick yeah. up in the world. Except it's a roguelike by Housemark, which if you're a Sony person, will know from games like Resogun and um what was the other one? Um, the PS3 game where it was a shooter on a sphere. Um, not Stardust. Uh, Super Stardust HD. I think you're right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, um, yes, also known as uh, Mar- House Marquee. It's, yes, that's what you call it. Um, anyways. <laughs> so yeah, it's also a House Mark game, which means it's also a, a shooter with constant bullets flowing from, towards you. But this time in a third person behind the back perspective, a la your Gears of Wars. So it makes for an interesting mix. It makes for an interesting moment to moment kind of game because when you are fighting enemies, it's very arcadey. You're dodging all over the place. You're hoping that your shots land. You're switching between weapons as you get them. Um, you're jumping around. It's very mobile. It's very quick. It's fun in the moment. Um, the combat's a lot of, it's, yeah, the combat's a lot of fun. And it gets better as you progress because of the new weapons you're picking up that do different things. You have new tools to kind of help you uh, traverse and different enemies give you different kinds of challenges. Bosses are super, super hard. It's the kind of arcade style challenge that you've grown to expect from Housemark. But then once the enemies are cleared, you got to figure out where the hell to go because unlike something like Hades, the generated uh levels that are are being reset every time um, you die are kind of labyrinthine and maybe hard to keep track of the direction you're going. There's multiple exits instead of just one linear direction. So there's a lot of situations where you're kind of looking at that map and being like, well, did I go there? But the cool part about this is that it adds to the discovery part of the game. You are stumbling upon different rooms that maybe are just full of items or rooms that are just like a few enemies to beat or challenge things. And that makes it unique compared to like a Hades. It makes you feel like, okay, there's actually a reason to explore every nook and cranny, even though it makes it more likely that I could die here. And as a roguelike, you don't want to take too many risks of dying because you want to make sure you keep all your progress. 
then on top of that, there is a story it's trying to tell, and it tries to trickle that in uh, between uh, between deaths, especially early on. You are basically learning about the lore by getting specific rune pickups during the levels. It does try to give you some story that way through text. Um, but ultimately, you're only getting the big story drops when you get to certain st- points of stoppage, like different levels of the, the labyrinth. So where I'm at right now, I have still not cleared the first area. And I think there are three or four of them. I've heard that people, and this is kind of the hit that a lot of people are uh, taking out on this game. The levels are too long. It takes about like an hour to potentially an hour and a half to get past one of them. So if you don't have time to play through an entire like five, maybe six hours of game, you might not have time to finish Returnal in one sitting. And the game does not save in between levels even. If you turn it off, you will start at the beginning. If you put the PlayStation in in rest mode and open up a new game, forgetting that that's in rest mode, you will have to start from the beginning. It's very unforgiving about saves. And a lot of people have told Housemark this. They seem to be aware that this is a quality of life issue for a lot of people who just don't have the time for this kind of thing. But there's an argument that a lot of other people have made, which is like, well, it'd be a different kind of game if you could just stop and restart, like Hades lets you and other roguelikes let you. So I don't know. It's kind of an ideological question. I'm not really sure how I fall on it, again, because I haven't even beaten the first area. <laughs> so until I do, um, I won't. I haven't encountered that challenge yet. But what I can say about the first area, what I've played so far, is it's a lot of fun. I like how the combat feels. It's a pretty looking game that tries all sorts of cool PS5 exclusive features in it. Feels great on the dual sense. Um, and interesting take on the roguelike as a whole, but it's very, very hard. And I think that's going to put some people off and that they cannot progress and learn more about the story when they really want to. I mean, it sounds a bit like you're having some cuphead problems cuphead's a good comparison because i think that that also is a game that attracted a lot of people from its cool art style and like fun gameplay and that wanted to see more of it and then kept running into the difficulty wall i think you're right could it use maybe some difficulty uh options down the road i think that that's maybe a potential solution Wait, so does Returnal not have difficulty options? Not that I know of, no. Oof. It does yeah. not have an option there. It seems like there is some sort of mechanic uh, that uh, some other roguelikes have used as well. Or if you die a certain amount of times, I do think there is a thing that pops up out in front of the first level that's like, hey, we noticed you've been dying. Here's a thing that maybe help you out in the first few areas. But that's not enough. I think that in order for this to be truly accessible, it needs the option to save. And yeah, I think it needs an easier mode um, just to l- lower that bar a little bit for people who just want to find out what's happening to Space Lady. I want to find out what's happening to Space Lady. It needs an easy story mode for just people who want to enjoy the story. Something like that. And I don't think that it would sacrifice the challenge of that game because I think just the inherent manner of that game being a bullet hell shooter is challenge enough. Um, yeah, you don't need freaking bosses with three life bars, is what I'm saying, which is the, the I got all the way to the boss the first area in my second to last run, and 
got down the first life bar, when I found out I had two more, I was like, I'm going to die in seconds. I'm, and I'm done. I have to start this all over again. I was so mad. I was like, well, Returnal, what you going to do? Uh, what you're going to do is you're going to wait for someone else to master the game, <laughs> wait six months, and then watch someone speed run it and right. make you put to shame at Awesome Games Done Quick. Yes, so tell us about, you. did you watch some more Summer Games Done Quick as it ended and wrapped up last weekend? I didn't watch it live, but damn did I watch it, uh, some of the hot fixes that they have on YouTube, and it's glorious. Um, Summer yes. Games Done Quick. Um, the speed running community getting together to raise money. This one is for summer, so it's Doctors Without Borders. They raised $2.9 million. Congratulations. Yeah, nice job. Um, that ending run of Kingdom Hearts Level 1 Critical Mode. Uh, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 2 Level 1 Critical Mode. Wow, just for you. It felt like it was just for me, which they did eventually meet the criteria for it. Uh, to or sorry, the donation level to do a level one critical mode of Sephiroth <laughs> and level one critical mode of Lingering Will, two of the hardest bosses in Kingdom Hearts lore, and yet they made them look like toilet paper. <laughs> oh, Lingering Will! <laughs> um, some of the other hot fixes was you tell course, Will to go and he won't leave. He just lingers there, and you're like, Will, go home. Uh, some of the other hot runs that I saw included Pokemon Emerald. I saw a bit of the Emerald They run. ended uh, doing the Elite Four with only two yeah. Pokemon. That was pretty wild. I saw that wrap just up. Being Rayquaza. Yeah. That Rayquaza uh, was too hardcore. Well, he, like, he just kept like giving them all the items. Like, oh, <laughs> that's what you can do with the items. You just yeah. damn the game to them. That, that kind of hurt in a way when I was watching that. Because as somebody who just sells all of their X, X attacks... Yes. And X defense. I was just like, oh, yeah, I I'm guess never you could use, use this, this. Right? And I was like, right? I never do this, but I guess you could do this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it hurt, but also it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. They just one shot at everyone with aerial ace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the, the Nintendo Dogs was also <laughs> hilarious as well. Uh, quick 16 minute uh, speed run. If you haven't seen any Nintendo Dogs, Watch that one. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Especially because they use the voice commands. So they have yeah. to speak into the mic for it in order to get the dog to do the tricks. That's good. It's hilarious the stuff they come up with. But yeah, uh, $2.9 million. Summer Games done quick. Yeah. Um, they'll be back on January 9th through the 16th. It won't be that first week anymore, which I'm kind of happy about. <laughs> It'll be the following week. Uh, so January 9th, 2022. For awesome games done quick to start off the new year, benefiting uh, Prevent Cancer Foundation. Yeah. And then deadlines for that will be announced soon if you want to submit for that speedrunning community. Yeah, I'm going to get really good at speedrunning. Um, Returnal. Uh, Returnal. God, no. <laughs> Imagine a clink because I showed you how to clip through the, yeah. how to bounce. You should just practice on speedrunning Pokemon Snap. <laughs> Which people do. People do. All right. I think that'll do it. I think what do you think? For us here as well. I got nothing more to add. Um, so let's plug away. Yeah. 
Thank you for watching this week's edition of the Media Book Podcast. Watching or listening, I should say. If you want to watch future episodes, they're on YouTube. Our channel is, uh, or you could find our channel by searching Media Book Podcast. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications. You know the thing. If you want to hear us in audio style, you can do so on podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all of where you get your podcasts. We're there. Just search us. If you want to see us on social media, our handle on Twitter is at MediaBoatCast. Facebook, search that MediaBoat Podcast name to find our page. Uh, what else? What else? What else? If you have questions, comments, anything you want to know from us, you can email us directly at MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. You can go to MediaBoatPodcast.com, the website, to go see us our uh, new posts as they go up every week. And last but not least... Uh, actually, that's it. <laughs> uh, Twitch Media Boat. Yes. On Twitch, uh, I will be at some point this next week streaming the end of Horizon Zero Dawn: The Frozen yeah. Wilds cool. DLC. I finally hit the end final boss of that thing. <laughs> I collected everything else. Um, it literally says does the thing where it says if you continue beyond this point, you won't be able to come back. Right. Do you want to continue? So you got to do like, with this okay. stuff. Thank you for that warning. I'll stop here. <laughs> so, yeah, fun times. Yep. So, yeah, if you want to see streams like that, twitch.tv slash mediavote is where you can go for that. All right, well, we'll be back next week. I think we all will have Space Jam, the new legacy, a new legacy, yeah, a new legacy. thoughts for you, as well as uh, thoughts about, I believe, the new season of Owl House will have premiered. Um, yep. And, yeah. Um, I think um, the premiere of Turner and Hooch will be next week Thanks. as well. Disney and Plus. we'll have our full thoughts on Loki next week. Yes, as well. we'll have our Loki wrap up. So yes, all that and more next week. So stay tuned and we'll be back next time. Have a good week, everybody. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.